welcome to Ethics in Marketing podcast. My name is Mikhail Mizgin, and today I joined by Ramin Dotan. We talk about potential risks that AI marketing tools present, ethical use of AI tools in marketing, AI in content creation, how to evaluate the ethics of an AI tool, how to avoid making the world worse inadvertently, how to market an AI solution ethically, and more. Hi, Ravit. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Mikhail. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah. Uh, okay. My name is Ravit Otan. I work in the field of AI ethics slash responsible AI, whatever people want to call it. My goal basically is to make all AI responsible. And I'm specifically focusing on how do we take talk about AI ethics and turn it into action. Specifically, how do we get companies, people that develop or use AI and also investors, how do we get them to incorporate more components of AI ethics in their work? And I do that by being active in three sectors, the private sector, the academic sector, and the nonprofit sector. So I have a, a few different professional hats. I'm VP of Responsible AI at a startup called Mission Control. And I'm also AI, a Responsible AI advocate at a company called Bria. And I am <laughs> active in several nonprofits and uh, I'm doing academic research. I will soon have an affiliation uh, with the university that will go nameless for now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So b- before we dive into ethical concerns related to marketing and AI, could you please tell me what is AI ethics? Yes. Okay. Excellent question. So what is AI? AI is a technology. And as with any technology, like suppose you invent a hammer and now this hammer could be used for good or for bad. Same is true for AI. It could be really, really helpful but it could also be really, really destructive. And one thing that characterizes AI is that it uh, it affects masses of people. So, you know, it could be millions of people, billions of people even, that are affected by one AI system. And so it's really important to think when we create those technologies, how they're going to affect people and also the environment and animals, you know. And so AI ethics is the attempt to do that. Um, there are many definitions of AI ethics, but my definition is that AI ethics is a field that has the goal of both understanding and managing how AI impacts or could impact people, society, and the environment. And maybe you could give a few examples when AI system affected a big amount of people or maybe harmed people so that mm-hmm. we could understand like what implication and consequences we're talking about potentially yeah. or even historically that happened already? Yeah, great question. Yeah, so when we talk about AI, because of the way that it's portrayed in media, I think often we have, you know, we imagine robots that may be sentient or, you know, Uh, autonomous cars, and it's true that, you know, AI is related to those things. But more commonly, AI is used 
and back office services like IT, customer care, fraud detection. So it's much more mundane. And here are two examples where AI caused harm in that capacity. One of the most famous examples is this algorithm called Compass. So Compass is an algorithm for recidivism. So that means that it calculates the chances that a person who has been arrested for something uh, will commit another crime in the future. And that algorithm was widely used in the U.S. legal system throughout the legal process. In 2016, there was an expose about it in a publication called ProPublica. And they exposed that, like, first of all, it wasn't accurate. And when I say it wasn't accurate, its overall accuracy was 60%. And its accuracy for violent crimes specifically was 20%. And so this affects a lot of people at the same time. A lot of, like, for most people, it's made the wrong call. So when AI makes a mistake, it makes a mistake at scale, affecting many people at once. But what was worse is that not only did it make those mistakes, but the mistakes were not equal for all people. So the mistakes were biased. That That's what ProPublica exposed, it, that they compared the predictions for uh, Black people with the predictions for white people in the U.S., And they found that if you were a Black person, you were twice as likely to be labeled high risk to commit another crime relative to a white person and then not go on to commit another crime. So twice as likely to to be labeled as high risk to commit a crime, but not commit a crime. If you were a white person, you were, I think it was 1.67, more likely to be labeled low risk to commit another crime, but go on to commit another crime. So we have a huge disparity here. And again, this is at scale, many people at once. So when we, you know, when we design AI systems, when we build them, when we buy them, when we invest in them, we should be thinking about the risks of things like that happening and what we can do to mitigate them. Again, this is AI ethics to me. To give another example, in the Netherlands, I think it was in the Netherlands, yes, they designed, they have uh, the system that people can apply for childcare benefits from the government. But they wanted to see when, you know, it's important to not defraud the government when you, <laughs> you submit those applications. And uh, originally, of course, it was people that made the decision, you know, they saw an application, could this be fraud or not? But then I think it was 2012, I'm not sure. Uh, but they decided that they're going to use an AI system to do that, uh, to detect this fraud. And um, it didn't work out. The system made a lot of mistakes, and it ended up falsely accusing 26,000 parents of fraud. But they didn't commit that fraud. <laughs> and moreover, the system, again, mistakes were biased. Uh, so people of color were disproportionately in that group that was falsely accused of committing fraud. And 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 the results were costly. So they, you know, they, they had to pay back high sums of money, sometimes labeled as, you know, fraudsters, which had other consequences on their lives. In one of the articles that I read about this, it was a mother, you know, she, I forget the exact sum of money she, she had to pay, but it was 
I think tens of thousands of euros. Also, she lost her job. Also, she couldn't find another job because she was labeled a fraudster. When she tried to appeal the decision, she was actually denied other kinds of benefits too. And also her relationship with her child had a lot of turbulent times because of it. And these are just like a couple of examples, both what happens when the system is not accurate enough. Consequences about fairness is something that people talk about a lot. There are so many other kinds of negative consequences that can happen. <laughs> so basically we're speaking about when something goes wrong, it happens usually on a big scale. Yeah, well, yeah, because AI, that, that's the, you know, AI uses a lot of data and applies it to many predictions, profiles at once. So that's a problem. Like it happens at scale. It often reproduces any kind of biases we have as people and exacerbates them. It is often the creators of the system cannot give an explanation as to why a certain prediction was given in a certain case. And so that's, you know, we have low explainability, low transparency, which just like exacerbates the problems. If people, you know, sometimes the AI will, or the machine learning algorithm will make decisions like in autonomous cars, things will happen in the world. What if people cannot intervene? That's another kind of problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the issue of taking an existing bias that we have as a society and reproducing, multiplying, and kind of cementing it in a society by yeah. making it ubiquitous. Yeah. I think that particular issue is applicable in marketing mm -hmm. since marketing often produces a lot of visual communication that goes exactly. outside mm -hmm. and there could be yeah. many potential issues. Uh, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, I don't want to paint, you know, AI or machine learning as technologies that are inherently bad. They're not. They could be really helpful. They could help us combat bias if we do it the right way, including in marketing, you know, we could use AI in ways that are really helpful, but if we don't pay attention, it could also be devastating. So AI tools are now part of marketing. If we think of AI as machine learning, probably that's what it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, those terms, people use them in such a great variety of ways. <laughs> And well, I can tell you the definition that I learned, uh, but again, like people have various definitions for this. So AI, that's what I was taught, has a number of sub kind of sub disciplines. So machine learning is one of them. Robotics is one of them. And so machine learning is the part that makes the inferences. So it's the part that's going to take a bunch of old data, do some kind of process about it and extract some patterns and then be able to apply that to new data um, and make predictions about that. Robotics, for example, is the part that will like have an arm move. We will use machine learning as like quote unquote a brain or something like that. But often people use the words AI and machine learning interchangeably. And I'm okay with that. What I wanted to say is that machine learning is definitely not new for marketing. Those recommendation systems have mm -hmm. been around for at least 10 years, mm -hmm. but more sophisticated software is appearing now. Uh, I mean, AI. Mm -hmm. Most prominent examples include software that creates copy and visuals. 
So not all AI tools are created equal. And how can you tell the difference between AI tools that require ethical consideration and those that do not? Is there such criteria? Because I imagine there are AI tools that do not present ethical concerns. Or maybe I'm wrong. I would think that any AI tool, we, we need to examine it under the lens of how is it going to impact people, society, and the environment. I'll give you an example. Like sometimes, sometimes the harms are not apparent at first sight. Let's suppose that there are ethical issues here. And let's, let's try to find them because sometimes it's not apparent at first sight. And I'll give you an example. In the city of Boston, they had a problem with potholes. So those little, you know, holes in the road that you drive over them and it makes mm -hmm. you bump and it's annoying. So, you know, they wanted to fix it. So there was a company that developed an app that if you run the app on your phone in your car, it detects when you are driving over a pothole and it reports it to City Hall so they could fix it, right? So it's like mm -hmm. crowdsourcing reports of potholes. You know, when we think of this, you know, at first glance, what kind of concerns could be here? This seems like fine. But actually, when you think of it for like, you know, a bit longer, you realize that there is risk here. And that's what the company realized too. At the time that this app was created, I mean, still now, not everyone has smartphones. Not everyone is going to have awareness of technology. So not everyone is going to install this app. So I think that's very likely to happen is that people who have more means, the other ones who are going to have the smartphones, they might be the ones who might have more awareness to technology, right? Like young people who have money. And so what would happen if we're not careful is that we would fix potholes more in the rich part of town. So sometimes... At first glance, it seems like the technology, like what, what harm can it do? But when we think about it slightly longer, we realize, oh, mm, there is actually here something that we need to be sensitive of. Okay, uh, looking from practical perspective of a marketer, if a company develops AI tool, they might or might not consider ethics, but I don't often see that. As a professional, I'm just looking for tools to help me do my job. And there are dozens, if not hundreds, of AI tools that could be used in marketing. Mm -hmm. And they almost never communicate anything to ethical concerns when it is related to ethical concerns. That's right. And so I don't know, like, if I'm concerned with ethics, wh where should I check? What, what should I check? And what kind of questions should I ask myself or maybe the company that provides that tool? Okay, so excellent question. Uh, the answer depends on the kind of relationship you have with that company because it, you know, it could be that you are, you know, a marketing firm and now you're considering purchasing some services. So you have direct communication with the company and you can talk to them and ask questions. In a way, that's the easiest scenario. Mm -hmm. But it's possible that you are just a sole proprietor, just like working on your own. And you're looking, you found this tool online and you're thinking whether to use it. So it's not like you can go to them and ask any questions. So these, of course, are, are, are two very different scenarios. So I'll start with what I think is slightly easier. Suppose you're a company and you mm -hmm. want to buy some kind of tool that would help you do a thing. 
suppose you're buying a tool that can produce images for you. So I think there are two kinds of things to think about. Well, it starts with understanding for you, the marketing company, what is important to you. There's a thing called AI ethics principles. A lot of companies, organizations, governments, <laughs> they come up with lists of AI ethics principles. Like for example, Australia, if you, if you Google Australia AI ethics principles, you will find your principles and they have a list of how they think AI ought to be. Prevalent principles are like fairness, transparency, explainability. To me, what those principles are, they signify risks that we've already paid attention to. And we, and we want to keep paying attention to them as we're developing AI systems. So if you are a marketing firm, you can either take one of those lists, like there are big ones, like OECD has one, UNESCO has one, like many, yeah, it, maybe your country has one. You can take one of those lists or, and I think it's better, develop your own in, you know, in, in an informed way. Now you have lists of risks. If you want to just like take four risks as default, uh, you could take uh, fairness and non-harm. That's one. Transparency and explainability. That's two. Data rights. That's three. And human control. That's four. If you want to just like take something as default, you could take these four, or go out and you know find things that reflect your own values and your context and your situation. But now that you know which risks, so like the first step would be know what risk areas you're paying attention to. Don't take it for granted, like think about it actively. Suppose you took those four risk areas. The next step would be evaluate how likely it is that that company, that that product will conflict, you know, will create those risks. For example, take data rights. The product that you're buying, did it need like, did, it did, did they need to collect like a lot of images? Um, or like a lot of data, did it collect like masses of images or like masses? Of, if yes, then there is a risk here that you do need to look into because they might be violating people's privacy. They might be, you know, scraping the internet without and taking images without people's consent. That is something that is possible. And so going over your list of risks, it gives you guidance on like what to pay attention to. You can now ask that company, where did you get your data? Did you have consent for this data or not? So that's one thing you can do. Choose your risk areas, examine the product or company based on those, you know, on those risk areas, talk to them, ask them questions. A second thing that is very important to do is less about the product itself and more about what the company is doing. Because sometimes risks exist, like it's okay, that's, that's life, we have risks. But it's important what we do to mitigate those risks. So it is very important to know, first, is the company aware of AI ethics? Is it aware of those risks that are interesting to you? Are, do they know anything about data rights, about fairness, about human control? Like, is this something that's even in their consciousness? What do they know about those risks? That's one thing to figure out. Then it's not enough to just know about the risks. It's important to tie this awareness and put it into your actual workflow. What do they do in their development lifecycle in the other departments? What do they do to mitigate those risks? This is a question you can ask them. The actual concrete steps that they are taking. 
The third thing that's really important to pay attention to is oversight because we all need accountability structures. So what are they doing to keep themselves accountable on those risk areas that you care about as a marketing firm? Do they report to their board about AI ethics, about, you know, fairness progress? Do they have public reports, you know? So yeah, that's the other end of it. One side is figure out which risk areas are important to you. Diagnose where the company stands with regards to those risk areas. And then also think about what the company's doing to mitigate those risks. So that's for the, this is like what to do if you are a marketing firm who's going to purchase a tool. I want to ask you more about those four risk areas. There was the last one, human control. Yeah. Could you speak more to that? What do you mean? Like Okay. So one of the notorious usages of AI, especially in marketing, is nudging. Nudging is when <laughs> you do, you know, slight things just to shift a little bit, you know, someone's attention to something. Like when you put candy at the supermarket at kids' eye level, next to the, you know, uh, register so that the kid could say to their parents, could you buy me that thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you want to drive certain behavior. Exactly. AI can really enhance nudging. It, it, can, it can take nudging to a whole different level because what AI does or machine learning, what it does is it analyzes data from masses of people. It can come up with a strategy that's perfect to nudge me specifically. To the extent that people are saying, is this interfering with my autonomy as a person, with my control over my actions? And that is a question to think very seriously about because not only because of the effects in marketing specifically to get me to buy this or that thing, they could also be used in the political realm where it's not only undermining my autonomy, but also undermining my autonomy to manipulate political results. So, for example, nudging algorithms can be used to get certain people to vote or not vote, um, which is when it gets really risky. So when we think of human control, some of it is, can we intervene on the actions of the machine, like uh, a self-driving car? If I see that it's about to run into someone, can I stop it? That's one part of human control. Another part of human control is control over my own preferences, desires, and activities. And when, when, when we think of marketing... Nudging is one of the biggest uh, risks to that. There are AI tools that enhance personalization. And we're talking about cases where this personalization can go too far, where <laughs> yeah. AI can pick up on certain habits of a person and introduce these data points into communication like what to say, what kind of ads to show. <laughs> and it, it could yeah. it could be like surveillance, right? That It is kind of using surveillance for the benefit of nudging. <laughs> mm -hmm. So basically when you sometimes see communication that contains details about your life that you did not expect to see. And or to be used in a certain way. And to be even used, yes. Which goes back to data collection, right? Mm-hmm. Did the company, where did they get the data, the data from? Yeah. Is this like, did, did people give consent for their data to be used in this way? So human control is interesting because it talks about the essence of marketing. <laughs> Basically persuading 
people to do something. Persuasion is a big part of marketing where mm-hmm. we try to make people buy products, right? And mm-hmm. it's not often that we appeal to rational mind. Often mm-hmm. we try to use emotions, insights from behavioral science. Mm-hmm. And there are AI tools that study behavior of people. Yeah. They apply it to what kind of content you will show them. And I mean, places, frequency, and the content itself, what people yeah. will see. I want to also speak to a little bit some of the other risk areas. Yeah. Fairness, for example. So another way that marketing influences the world is we see images. We see images on the street, you know, the ads, and and it shapes our worldview, right? And if we only see images of white people, that will have consequences. And machine learning, AI tools, they can mitigate this problem. They can also exacerbate this problem. Because suppose instead of doing, you know, instead of shooting an ad campaign and thinking about the kind of people that I hire, you know, my models, instead of that, I'll just generate an image with one of the tools that can generate images. If those tools are better at generating images of white people, we will get more images of white people. Because even if the marketer is trying, wants to have a, a non-white person, but they can't because the tool is not giving them a good image, we will push it, you know, we'll have, you know, and, and, and also other aspects of, the, of, of, you know, like the beauty ideal, right? If, if we only have thin people, if we only have people without Down syndrome, like we'll, if the tools can only do that, the problem will become bigger. Yeah, so even if I, as a marketer, want to generate a picture for my ad, and even if I say to the AI tool, I want a picture of a medical doctor, very likely that it will give me back a white male, right? That's right. (laughs) Uh, But if I say medical doctor, black female, Sometimes, even if I consciously consider this ethical concern, trying to bypass this bias, the AI tool not necessarily can give me a result that I want to get. Exactly. Which is why if you're in a position to talk with the, you know, if you are a firm who's purchasing a product, it's very important to talk with them about, for example, fairness, because then you can ask, what did, did you check for bias? What did you do? <laughs> Tell me, like, what are your measures? Yeah. 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 And so I'm just thinking from practical standpoint, well, if I'm a marketing team at a certain company and I have deadlines, uh, I need to produce a campaign by end of week. Yeah. And all I'm getting is certain kind of pictures, even though I want to have different kind of pictures, but the tool can give me, I will have to use whatever I'm giving. Exactly. And exactly. This it's like a snowball effect, right? Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. the AI, AI tool ends up learning from the stuff that it creates. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so uh, what was the next consideration? Okay, so we talked about fairness. Oh, non-harm that I wanted to say. Sometimes people in the literature, so sometimes people call it non-maleficence, but it basically means not causing harm. So to me, it means let's do a red team exercise for a minute and think about all the ways that this tool can use can cause harm <laughs> for example could it take people's jobs i this is a problem that i think will become increasingly salient and it's not you know with any new technology that is created 
the job market changes. So this is not a new problem. However, as with many things in AI, there's scale here, right? Because what if like half of the marketing firms are now using AI tools to generate their photos? What's going to happen to the photographers? What is going to happen to the models? And yeah, we, we need to think about that. And and it's a question of whether the company who has gen- like created this AI has thought about this in any way. Another issue, uh, what about copyrights? What about IP rights? So the images that it took. What about the photographer who shot the initial image? You know? Yeah. Uh, so these are additional things to think about and to try to talk about with the company that we're, you know, buying the AI from. Like, how do they think of copyrights? How do they think of IP? How do they think of displacement? Yeah. The next one was... Transparency and explainability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the, you know, when we're thinking of machine learning and AI, you know, those kind of technologies to generate content... We're talking about deepfakes and advertising often tries to show us things that are not true in the sense that it will show, you know, like a picture of a family, but it's not really a family. It's just an adult and a child. But for the sake of the advertisement, like I need to think that it is a family. So I need to be deceived in some way. And like, we're all fine with it. Like I look at the, you know, I look at an ad. I don't think this is really a family. Like I know this is an ad. Most likely they are not related. And we have like a continuation of that thing with AI because they can create people who do not exist doing things that are could even be impossible. And you know, part of the problem is we're like with the beauty idea. Like, yeah, that problem started with Photoshop, like creating images of women that <laughs> no one could ever look like that. These bodily proportions are impossible sometimes. <laughs> and that creates body image issues and disorders, this problem could be much more because <laughs> it will be at scale. But also it could be like the same technologies could be used to create like fake news and distort like political beliefs. We need to know that the image that we're seeing is synthetic or you know generated by AI. That's where transparency comes in. And it could be even it could be a text too, right? They should be transparent about the, you know, when, when I see the artifact, I need to know that this artifact has been generated by an AI for the sake of transparency. Also, soon they will be required to do it when the EU AI Act passes. So when I talk to them, you know, as a marketing firm, I can ask them, what do you do for transparency? What do you do to make sure that people know that this artifact has been generated by, by an algorithm? So that's one, that's one example where transparency becomes really important in marketing. There are conversations in the marketing community about AI writing tools. There is some resentment too, so as to AI will never replace humans. But I've seen AI-generated texts that look good. And in this case, if your marketing team used an AI tool to produce a text, it should be disclosed. Like this article was written by AI or something like that. Or like with the assistance of AI, because I'm sure that some tweaks have happened. Mm -hmm. Or like maybe, yeah. Okay, so here I can uh, get to my favorite subject of boundaries and looking for boundaries. Mm. There are quite popular tools that correct grammar, Mm. AI tools. And that's right. 
you can be anywhere in the spectrum of to what extent your text was influenced or maybe corrected or maybe written by this AI tool. So to what point should I disclose that? Like, okay, if it's mm. fully written by AI, yes, I can disclose. But if I correct it a few words, but it gets like, you, you can go on. Like if you wrote most of it, but AI tool corrected a few sentences. So mm. where do you find that spot that at what point should I disclose? Because otherwise, pretty much all texts, most of the posts on LinkedIn, oh, they are often written with tools such as Grammarly, that is yeah. a, an AI tool. Excellent question. Uh, instead of answering it, I will give an analogy uh, because this is a boundary issue and it, we, there isn't a sharp line. But I want to give an analogy to another case that is familiar. When we write a text, often we will send it to someone else to give us feedback on it before we make it public. However, in other cases, we actually co-author a text with someone. When we co-author a text with someone, it requires giving them certain um, acknowledgement, right? We, we will co-author, the text will be attributed to the both of us. When it's just feedback, they will not get this title. Maybe they'll get acknowledgement in a footnote, or maybe not even that. Where is the boundary? When have I co-authored a text with someone and when did they just give you feedback that requires me to acknowledge them in a footnote? And and when is it just like, I don't even need to mention it? So I'm trying to say, I do not know. This is a sensitive boundary issue. However, I think we're already familiar with this kind of complexity from the realm of co-authorship. Yeah. Or ghostwriting. Or ghostwriting. What I think is that maybe if content doesn't have an author that should be made clear to the user, for example, a product description. You know, you don't expect to see an author. This product description was written by that person. You, you do not expect mm. that. So this mm. kind of almost authorless content in that sense, even though mm. there, there is always an author, but there is no expectation. Mm. Uh, That's a good point. Even from people who write those texts, there is no expectation for them to be mentioned as an author. and. I don't yeah. know if they ever consider themselves as authors in this case. Yeah. And from the other hand, there are texts such as, well, you can think uh, in a very prosaic example could be a LinkedIn post posted yeah. by some CEO, but the post yeah. is written by someone else. It's never disclosed, right? That's so a good point. Yeah, I like yeah. this analogy. If this issue has never been resolved in like, pre-AI era, then <laughs> like what motivation should people have to actually solve it in the AI era? I think that it's true that it hasn't been res resolved in some cases, but I think that I'll give an extreme case as an example. Okay. If I were to write a journal article with AI, I would need to say that AI has been a part of writing this journal and, and, it's, and it would be pretty problematic if I won't do it. And I think in certain cases, I think we all we have pretty clear norms that it's that we need to reveal who was a part of writing this thing. In other cases, it's fine. In some cases, it's murky. And so I'm thinking with AI, it's probably the same. In some cases, it will be like clear to us. In some cases, it will be murky. And in some cases, it, it will be fine. And so when we get to images or videos yeah that's maybe also problematic as you gave your example with a family 
that is not really a family. <laughs> which is, it's never disclosed, right? We just see a picture of random people posing as a family, but it's never disclosed. So I just see that the same kind of counter argument can be used in this case. Mm. Uh, like, why should I disclose an AI generated picture? Okay, it's not true. But, you know, uh, it's not a real image, not a real person. But it's been like this in advertising forever. It's just <laughs> a new way to do it. So I'm thinking of the harms that could be caused. Because I'm thinking some of these images are generated from scratch. And some of those images are actually based on images of actual people. Mm, that's true. Yeah, no? I, I'm just thinking, like, suppose I modeled for, like, some campaign and they tweaked my image to do something that I would never do in real life. Yeah. You know? Because AI tools, they use whatever they can find, right? Unless yeah. it was designed in an ethical way to prevent using <laughs> images that, in a case, they don't have a clear consent, an informed consent. Yeah. And also, like, what if the image is generated from scratch, but it ends up looking very similar to the way I look? And people can confuse me with that image. But I never pose for this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe we can move to a situation where someone is a marketer whose job is to market an AI solution. And I understand like the same things should be considered, the same risks should be considered by the marketing team at an AI software company. But what I want to discuss is communication, basically how marketing should talk about potential risks that their solution present. Because generally marketing never wants to talk about problems that their product might present. But in this case, that's kind of the situation you sell a solution that potentially can present risks. So how do you implement this into your communication? Okay, so uh, let me make sure I understand the question. So you mean like the company that produces the AI, now I want to sell it, so I will have marketing myself, but I have risks, so like what do I do about it? Yeah. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's possible that the company wants to um, just do PR and make itself look good. That's a strategy that they could take that I do not want to get into because <laughs> I think it's bad. <laughs> I think of marketing actually as an opportunity for communication with my audience, with my stakeholders. If the company is interested in producing good AI, it's better for them to be transparent. They can say, hey, we have noticed that with our technology, uh, here are some risks that can happen. Like we are aware there's a fairness risk. We we know this and uh, here's what we're doing about it. And now we can let you know. And now we can say, okay, great, our end users, our stakeholders, now you know, this is what we do. So if you have any feedback, if you have any criticism, tell us. We will think about it and we will try to improve. And so it becomes this tool. So marketing can become a tool for communication. And when it's done sincerely, I think it benefits both parties. It gives the company good reputation and a good image as someone who's trying, someone who's aware, someone who listens. And at the same time, if they're sincere, it does help them learn about more to understand their risks better and, and how they can improve. So when it's done well, I think it's a win-win for both sides. Marketing can become this tool for communication as well. Of course, if the company is not sincere and they're just like want to look good, you know, I think it becomes the same question as like everything else, like smoking causes cancer. You want to advertise it. Like, what do you do? I think it's a similar kind of question. 
So, do you see many examples of companies sincerely engaging with the public, uh, with their potential customers in such conversation? Like, hey, that's a potential risk. Let's address this together. Let's think about this together. And that's a concern that you have to consider when using our product. Do you see this a lot? In a way, we're seeing it, for example, in the, in the medical industry, right? Where they say, well, they have to disclose the risks and we choose to take that medication even though we know of that risk. Or when we, like factories, I think they need to report on like contamination risks. Right? I'm not sure. I don't know how that industry works, but I would assume that they do. And then they have to say, yeah, and, and this is what we're doing to prevent it. In this case, they do it, they have to do it because of the regulations that exist in these areas. But in AI, it's not a lot in terms of legislation and regulations compared to some other established industries such as biomed, medical devices. So is there proactive AI companies that are prominent in this sense that they actually want to engage with the community and proactively discuss potential risks that their solution presents. Or mm -hmm. like in other areas, like, such as, for example, privacy, should we really need to wait for legislation to make companies do that? <laughs> like, I'm thinking just of the history of the internet, and it's very clear that we can't regulate ourselves. You know, if there are no regulations, there will be companies that will go to great lengths to use whatever opportunities they can get without considering ethics. And so can this conversation have a chance in growing into something that really changes the industry? Or should we have legislation to really change things? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, when I think of ESG, there isn't legislation forcing companies to comply with ESG. And yet now it's a huge thing, corporate responsibility, like reporting and, and paying attention to those kind of risks. So I think that companies who care about ESG should include ethics in ESG as a part of the thing that they're reporting. And because ESG is becoming, has become already a movement and I think it will only increase, it's not going to be difficult to put ESG as a part of it. And I think some ESG firms are already doing that. So it, in terms of, you know, this is long legislation, this is like soft tools, maybe. But I think that's, that is a promising avenue. On the legislation front, it is coming. And the EOAI Act does require some transparency that would prove that your algorithm is actually compliant with this regulation. And so we, we're kind of seeing both ap approaches right now, like the, the legislation is progressing, in including being transparent about various things and those more kind of like soft governance things like ESG. And I want to address another part of what you said that, you know, when we when we think about what's realistic for companies to do, I think it's important to distinguish between like different kinds of companies or like different kinds of cases, because it's like one question to ask is, is there something that we could expect, you know, all marketing firms to do, you know, even the ones who are evil, right? I don't think anyone is evil. Well, most people are not evil. So that's one question to ask. But another question to ask, what could we recommend companies that are really well intentioned to do? So that, that is a different question. And I think the, the point that we're at right now is this question about what could companies that are well-intentioned 
do because I think right now we have a lot of people that are well-intentioned, but they're not sure what to do. And, and I think we're at the stage of let's first find what those people can do. It's true that not all people will do it. It's true. We, we're not going to cover everyone. But let's start with the low-hanging fruit at least. And so when you have a good intention, you really want to make an ethical product or you want to make sure that when you sell your product, when you market your product, you consider all these ethical questions. How do you actually do it? Going back to your introduction, how do you actually move from thinking about this to actually doing, acting on it? Yeah. So that, of course, depends on what your work is. But basically, the three pillars that I... So I've done research on this. So this is based on this research that I've done. And I'm dividing it to three pillars, knowledge, workflow, and oversight. First, increase your knowledge of the thing. Especially make sure that you have diverse input and have a plan. So know how it's, how your business plan where, where it fits and be concrete, have concrete metrics that you're tracking and standards, then make sure that whatever your workflow is, it has those components. So if you are doing due diligence for a marketing firm, make sure that in that due diligence, you actually have questions that pertain to AI ethics. And then think about what you need to keep yourself accountable. What is it that you need? Like, we all need someone to check our homework. What, what do you need? And I think if you are, you know, you're not the person doing due diligence at, at a marketing firm, you are just a marketer working at that firm in charge of putting together a campaign. Be aware when you're using AI, if your company is using AI and advocate for thinking of AI ethics. I, I, I noticed the companies that I work with, some people say you should target the decision makers, go for the managers, go for the senior management. And it's important to have buy-in from them. But what I'm noticing is that when, when I talk to a company, some people will be more interested in promoting AI ethics than others. And those people might be at different ranks. And it's actually really important to have people at all levels of the company thinking of AI ethics, because what you really want is to have conversations about it. That's how awareness is, is getting created. So even if you are the most junior person at the company, but you're having those conversations, you're helping people think about it and you're creating those internal expectations that will put pressure on the decision makers in the company. So think about how you cultivate your tech knowledge yourself, how you put it in the workplace and how you put it in your actual work. Like think of your work products. What do you do? Yeah. So I think that as a conclusion, if you are a marketer and that you use AI tools and if you care about fairness, transparency and other risks, you have to critically assess AI tools that you use and ask yeah. yourself questions whether you can, not knowing, make the world worse. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Ravit, can you tell my listeners where they can find you on the web? <laughs> yeah, okay. Two places. Uh, I have a website which is basically my name.com. So RafikDatan.com, that's my website. And I have a tab there with resources that people could use and to learn about legislation and newsletters and tools they can use to learn about AI ethics and to integrate into their work. And I also have, I put like, I write 
and speak in many places. So you can also, most of it is kind of introductory to AI ethics. So you can also go there. And LinkedIn is actually the place that I, that's my chosen social media where I post stuff. So feel free to talk to me on LinkedIn. All right. Well, for now, I'll thank uh, Ravit for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Ravit. Thank you for having me, Mikhail. Your questions were awesome. This was a very thoughtful conversation. Thank you so much. And this is the end of this episode. If you liked it, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That's it for now, and until next time, bye.